Welcome to the Running Around Baltimore podcast. I'm your host, Glenn Smith. Before we get started on episode 11, let's take a moment to recap episode 10. Last time we heard from Emily Parks, who shared information about how runners can give back to the community by running and fundraising to support athletes serving athletes and their mission to help mobility-impaired athletes to compete. We also shared running routes in Easton, Maryland and Honeygo Regional Park at White Marsh and previewed a number of mid-May races. Our interview was with David Flax, a Pikesville-based runner who continues to push his limits by preparing for the National Senior Games, and he shared his experience at the 2019 Jerusalem Marathon. It was a special interview, so I recommend that you go back and check that one out if you missed it. Our interview for this episode will be with Trent Swanson, most known for being the race director of the Algonquin 50K, which is held annually outside of Pocomoke City in Worcester County on the Lower Eastern Shore. There seems to be a growing list of trail and ultra races starting up on the Eastern Shore, and Trent is right in the middle of it, so I wanted to bring him on to discuss the growing running community there, which seemed to be nearly non-existent just a short time ago. We'll talk with Trent a little bit later, but let's get started with a race report. So for a race report on the Providence Marathon, I want to welcome in Monica Basha, the Baltimore Pacemakers. Thanks for coming on, Monica. Yep. Thanks, Glenn. So let's, first of all, why did you choose to run Providence? You know, it's pretty far away. Uh, Well, it's, it's honestly, it's not that far. So, you know, Southwest has direct flights from Baltimore and they're less than an hour. So it was a pretty easy flight up there. It's a smaller, um, you know, location, smaller race. There's only about a thousand people um, ran the race uh, this, this past year. So, I, you know, looked at it. Well, plus, I think you probably know I'm a, a 50 stater. I'm trying to do all 50 states. And um, it was a more cost effective uh, race than, you know, going across the country or going to a major city. So it was sort of ideal. And, and it also fell in early May. So it was a good time of year to, to do it. Um, and then I guess just looking at the race itself, uh, the course is, for those of us who run in Baltimore quite often, it's relatively flat, only with a few uh, inclines or character builders uh, right at the beginning. And then there's one short but intense one at the end. But otherwise, it's it's really flat. Uh, the parts of it go along. Uh, there's the East Bay bike path, which is along the Providence River, and so it, it is, again, relatively flat because it's going along the river. And because it's so small, um, it's, you aren't bobbing and weaving a lot. You get to really run the tangents. Uh, and yeah, I guess I can't. So that's why I signed up for it. And then having done it, um, I can sing the praises of it by saying that it's very well organized. There's 16 water stops. Uh, I don't take advantage of every water stop and I don't usually take uh, the uh, Gatorade or or whatever fuel uh, is at a water stop, but they had noon and water at every water stop and they had cliff gels at most of them. And probably most crucially, they had porta potties at every water stop. Uh, They were just very much prepared. Um, And I also, I think part of the reason that... um, you had wanted to have me on was that I I was talking about how I had a really great pacer. Um, My pacer for this marathon was um, 
was very inspiring. His name was Ken, and he had this interesting story uh, where he has a traumatic brain injury. And I don't know the circumstances, and he didn't get into the circumstances surrounding how he suffered his traumatic brain injury. Uh, but he goes and he paces marathons basically every week, and he doesn't work. Uh, what he does is he contacts race directors and says, uh, I will pace your marathon for you if you can find a place for me to stay. And he flies and like, wow, airlines, whatever discount airline there is that goes to the area. And he goes and that's what he does. He paces the marathon. And um, he had just stories upon stories that really helped distract me from you know, running, whether my body was hurting or what was going on. In fact, I don't even remember. Um, I was just paying attention to him. So I would say it was just a very well-organized race uh, with uh, a great, I, I had a great pacer. I can't speak to the other pacers, uh, but all things, all things considered, it was great. And actually, I forgot the, the part that probably stunk the most about it, which was the weather. It was raining the entire time. Um, so you can tell that I had a great experience because I'm not talking about what, you know, the negative aspect of it was. <laughs> I guess with all of my ramblings, uh, do you have any questions for me about the race? Oh, yeah, I mean, well, first of all, I mean, just definitely a wonderful story about the pacer. And again, ideal pacer. There's no way you can complain about, you know, a little uh, nagging injury or being tired when when this guy's uh, you know, talking about traumatic brain injury and, and running a marathon pretty much every weekend. That takes all the excuses out. But, yeah, the weather was, has been pretty bad, obviously, every weekend. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, the, the fact that you're able to do that, uh, you know, and kind of come in with a pretty, you know, pretty good time either way. Uh, so how many states have you completed on your quest uh, to do all 50? Uh, well, I'm I'm in the low. I haven't completed uh, half. I'm at 13 states at the moment. Uh, lucky lucky number 13. Um, and I'm, so I'm slowly checking them off. Uh, but I would say that I mean it's hard to pick favorites because every marathon is is a different experience. But I definitely enjoyed um, Providence a lot. And for people who are I guess even if you're not doing the 50 states and you're not trying to, you know, check those boxes, it's not, it's a very short trip. Uh, it's different. And it, I mean, it's something different from what you would experience here in Baltimore. And I will say, you know, there's a lot of sponsor hotels. The, the great thing about it, I stayed at one of the sponsor hotels and I basically walked out the door uh, 10 minutes before it started. So I wasn't standing in the rain, shivering the entire time before the race started. And because there's only about 10,000 participants, it wasn't a, a huge deal to get into the start corral to, uh, to, you know, get to where I needed to be uh, for the start. Um, and I guess there's other, it was a 7.30 start, which, you know, isn't too isn't too early, but it isn't too late. Um, and I will also say that the, the pictures are free, which I think is kind of a bonus. Yeah, that's always a nice bonus. <laughs> the, only, the only downside I will say to the, the pictures being free is that it does require you to uh, register for a Strava account, but many people already have Strava accounts. So I don't know that that's going to be much of a downside considering how much 
many races actually charge for your race photos. And it, it definitely seems like they've sort of gone out of their way to provide a lot of value there. And I, I know Providence, you know, it's kind of a medium-sized city, but they've done a lot of urban revitalization over the last 20 years and are trying to really court more uh, tourist business. Uh, you know, for those who might already be traveling to Boston or Connecticut, you know, falls right in between there. So uh, do you have the next race lined up? I guess, you know, number 14, is that already on the schedule? You're, you're gonna, I mean, you're used to hearing um, craziness, um, but I'm going to uh, go out to Nevada, um, and that will be about a month from now, actually, June 15th, and it's the uh, I can't, I'm not going to pronounce it very well because it's French. Uh, the Le Meal, the Le Moyle, um Marathon. And I'm going with um, one of my fellow pacemakers, Melissa, out there. And th- it's going to be very different because it's all down into a canyon. Oh <laughs> so it'll, it'll definitely tear up my quads. Um, and it's a very, it'll actually be, I think the smallest race, uh, I've ever run last year. There were only 67 people and, um, 20 people DNF'd. So (laughs) only 47 actually crossed the finish line. Um, (laughs) so, um, I will be happy to have a partner, uh, while I'm doing, while I'm doing that race. (laughs) And, And obviously the two of you, uh, have run together a lot. So, uh, you know, you'll know what to say to kind of support each other through what sounds like a tough experience. Again, you're running downhill into a canyon in Nevada uh, in the summer. In the summer. Yeah. You work cut out. I mean, so that that is, interestingly enough, we've, we've paid attention to that detail in terms of the temperature, and it starts very early. It starts at 6 o'clock, uh, and it's a point-to-point um in let's see it uh in in that particular part of nevada the highest the temps get in um june are actually in the 70s and overnight it gets into the 40s and 50s so we're hoping that the temperature will be okay and that it'll be um dry heat so that we won't have too many issues (laughs) too many issues um and that we'll be able, to, we won't be one of those, you know, DNFs Absolutely. <laughs> uh, on the list. So. Wishing you all the best. And I'm thinking we need to have you on back as sort of like a travel correspondent from faraway races, uh, you know, uh, but that's definitely one I think we'll want to hear about. So thanks for coming on to share your experience, Monica. Uh, it was really great. Yep. You're very welcome. Thanks for having me, Glenn. If you're looking to race in late May or early June, take a look at these events. If you're looking for some trail fun, check out the BRRC GPS Gunpowder Trail Race on Sunday, May 26th at 8 a.m. This is the third race in the inaugural BRRC Trail Series and is directed by accomplished trail runner Aaron Surratt. It takes place in the Gunpowder State Park at the trailhead on Bel Air Road just north of Perry Hall with a registrational race morning only in the lot across from the Gunpowder Lodge. This 5.25-mile race may be kind of short, but there's some challenging climbs, water crossings, rocks, mud, uh, so it's going to be full of exciting challenges. This race is free for BRRC members and just $10 for non-members. 
Uh, go to brrc.com to learn more about the GPS Gunpowder Trail Race on May 26th. The Hartford County Running Club hosts the Bel Air Town Run on Sunday, June 2nd at 8 a.m. in downtown Bel Air. This is a downhill point-to-point 5K race and one-mile fun run walk on the streets of Bel Air that aims to promote health and fitness in Hartford County. The 5K race is part of the Maryland RRCA Championship Race Series. Registration for the 5K is $30 and the fun run walk is $25 for adult runners, but there is a discounted rate for children 10 and under for just $15 for both events. So bring them out to run with you. Amenities for the race include an event t-shirt, post-race refreshments, course support, and chip timing. Go to belairtownrun.com to sign up, check out the course map, and watch a cool video that allows you to preview the course for the Bel Air Town Run. To celebrate Global Running Day, on June 5th, head to Annapolis to take on the Run Your Town 24-Hour Challenge. The challenge is to run for any amount of time up to 24 hours for just a $24 donation to Danny's Fund, a charity in Anne Arundel County that focuses on changing the course of addiction in that area. Obviously, higher donations are welcome, and Brooks and Charm City Run are generously matching donations, so your donation will go a long way to help this cause. The challenge begins at the Charm City Run Annapolis location at 6 p.m. on June 5th and proceeds on a one-mile paved loop around the Annapolis Town Center Shopping Center. Uh, All runners intending to complete loops in the dark must have headlamps and reflective gear for their safety. All runners will receive hydration and chip timing on the course, and the first 100 registrants are guaranteed a Brooks Performance shirt. Go to runsignup.com to check out the Run Your Town 24-hour challenge and to sign up for this run starting on June 5th. Now it's time for Coach's Corner, where I'll be talking with Coach Buddy to get some advice for improving your running. Uh, Buddy Weber is an RRCA certified running coach with the Baltimore Roadrunners Club. Welcome back, Coach Buddy. Hey, Glenn. Thanks. Uh, thanks for having me back. Uh, and this welcome week. back to the United States, Buddy. Uh, you know, a uh, little trip to Portugal, but you're you're still back on the show, ready to give us some advice. Uh, what do you have for us this week? Yeah, so this week's topic is geared to uh, beginners and advanced runners alike, uh, and it's on running form. Uh, A quick scan of the BRC Facebook page shows that from time to time, uh, there'll be a post of someone questioning uh, about form. And and why do they ask about form? Because basically, we can't see our own form. So, buddy, is form even that important? I know a bunch of runners who... Uh, leave me in the dust on a regular basis that have some pretty funky looking running forms. Uh, you know, is it something we should even really be worried about? Well, well there's, there's two schools of thought on this when it comes to coaching uh, form. Uh, first school of thought is, is that we all have our own form and really don't worry about it too much. And the other side of, of the coin is, is form is important. Uh, if you would see a golfer or a tennis player that had really bad form, would you tell them that form wasn't all that important? No, I would probably think that that's pretty important. Uh, you know, I know that my swing's terrible. Uh, and so my form has really impacted my golf game to the point where I decided to take up running. So yeah. what can we even do? You said we can't see it. So how can we even improve our form? Well, let's talk about both sides of those coins. First, uh, I want to give an example. Uh, a member of BRC 
85 years old. Uh, he has a unique form, to say the least. However, he holds several U.S. records in his age group and recently completed the authentic Athens Marathon in Greece. Glenn, do you think I'm going to go up to him and say, hey, if you make these one or two changes, you can be a better runner? Yeah, probably not. Probably not, no, because he's doing great on his own. Uh, and on, also, for the elite runner, they may really sweat out the details with running form uh, with a coach and, and really work to get as much power as they can out of their running. Uh, but there are a couple areas in, that can be made uh, that the recreational runner could work on. One, they can check on themselves. On the other hand, there's an area that would be better worked with a coach. The first area is running relaxed and having overness, uh, overall stillness in the upper body. Some coaches call this running economy. Uh, first, running relaxed. Um, first thing I'd like to do is I tell people to smile. Uh, we've heard that it takes fewer muscles to smile than it does to frown. Uh, so if, you, if you're out there running and you smile, you're going to be more relaxed. Uh, I also tell people, hey, take a look at your hands. Are they clenched or are they relaxed? Uh, if your hands are clenched, you're tensing up your muscles and you're not very relaxed. Another area, a lot of times people say, oh, relax your shoulders. And typically the person who says, here's relax your shoulders. Oh, I'm not, I'm not tight. I'm okay. So really there's two ways you can relax your shoulders. One is to shrug your shoulders three times and that kind of relaxes them a bit. Also, there's kind of a visual cue that you can give to relaxing your shoulders, and that's kind of dropping the elbows. So if you, if you drop your elbows, your shoulders will, will drop as well. Also, in terms of running economy, overall stillness. Uh, and you, you basically start from the head and you work down. First, is the head looking forward, not down? Uh, is the head not bobbing up and down or swinging side to side? Again, your he head being very still, looking out and not down at the ground. Uh, it also, shoulders again, are they parallel uh, and to the ground and still they're not swinging side to side? Same thing with the arms. Are, are the arms at the side with minimal crossing in the front of the body and they're acting more as counterbalances to, to the feet? Well, it sounds like, uh, for the most part, what we need to think about is if we're happy with our running and we're relatively healthy on a regular basis, our form is probably okay. But, you know, if uh, we start noticing pains and uh, nagging injuries, maybe that's when we need to seek advice of a doctor and then maybe see if uh, we can get another set of eyes on it and uh, see if maybe there's a few pieces of advice that we could uh, maybe tighten things up a bit. Exactly, Glenn. Uh, there, there, there is an area in which a coach can help out, and that's with gait analysis. Uh, it may be needed after an injury to the lower body uh, or frequently uh, someone who gets free, uh, shin splints uh, from time to time uh, could be a, a point where a gait analysis would be helpful. And it, it could be an issue with overstriding or possibly understriding. And really the best way to do a gait analysis uh, is done via video. And a video from the back of a person running from the side as well as the front. Uh, and then the coach can take that video and slow it down and see frame by frame and step by step uh, uh, some possible issues that they could work with uh, the person they're coaching. And it's, they would be able to see things that you couldn't see with the naked eye when you're running at, at, at full pace.
Yeah, and and to bring back the golf analogy, it seems like uh, in something where there's a lot of moving parts, uh, you know, really being able to take video and slow things down to pinpoint minor changes. Because, I mean, really, I think that's what it comes down to. We're not talking about a major overhaul, but making minor little tweaks to to sort of tighten things up. Exactly. And and, and really, that that's why for the, the average runner, it, don't sweat it too much. Uh, don't be overly concerned about your form. Aim to run relaxed. Have fun. Uh, think of stillness in your upper body. But if you are dealing with uh, repetitive injuries, uh, seek out a coach uh, and have a gait analysis, and that may help. All right. Well, that's great advice, Coach. If people wanted to reach out uh, for a little coaching advice, maybe a little gait analysis, how could they do that? Uh, first thing I was suggesting to do is uh, check out the training pages at www.brc.com. Uh, they can reach me at email at runningcoachbuddy at gmail.com, or they can look me up at Twitter uh, at runningcoachbud. All right. That's great, Coach. Thanks again, and uh, we'll talk in a couple of weeks. Thanks, Glenn. Every time I see you, baby, feel like love is something new. For Baltimore's best running routes, we are continuing a series of routes that highlight area parks. This week, we are highlighting the trails found at the Soldier's Delight Natural Environment Area located in Owings Mills. Soldier's Delight has 1,900 acres of the most unique landscape in Maryland, boasting 39 rare, threatened, or endangered plant species, as well as rare insects, rocks, and minerals. There are seven miles of marked trails at Soldier's Delight, but I suggest the Serpentine Trail if you are new to this park. It is a 2.3-mile trail with just over 200 feet of elevation gain and some great views of the park. The trail is easily accessible from the parking lot just off of Deer Park Road, which is open from 9 a.m. until sunset. I've shared a map for the Soldier's Delight Serpentine Trail on the website, which should serve as a good starting point for further exploration of this truly unique trail area just minutes from northwest Baltimore. For this week's destination run, I want to share an experience that I had in running a portion of the Appalachian Trail in Maryland. This run had been on my to-do list for some time, but I had wanted to run it with someone else as I was unsure what to expect and wanted the support. So I posted on a local trail running group on Facebook to see if anyone wanted to make the trip, and one member reached out and said that he would run it with me. We made arrangements to meet at the trailhead on Route 40 to run about 12.5 miles on the AT. We started from the trailhead around 6.45 a.m. and the parking lot was already starting to fill up with hikers as the weather conditions were predicted to be in the 60s and 70s without rain. We started heading south, crossing the bridge over I-70 and proceeding about three miles to reach the Washington Monument. This is the first monument built to honor our nation's first president and serves as an observation point to view the countryside west of the trail. Unfortunately for us, the monument is undergoing renovations and was fenced off, but it was still cool to see and there were decent vantage points from the ground anyway. We enjoyed a misty view of farms and forests before heading north toward the highway. There were plenty of rocks to contend with on this stretch, but it was well-maintained and enjoyable to run and hike at an easy pace. 
Once we crossed the highway again, we continued north to the Black Rock Cliff Overlook, just over three miles north of the trailhead. This section was much steeper than the first one, but just as well maintained. Black Rock Cliff uh, provided a panoramic view of the valley below and a nice place to sit and refuel. We only encountered one pair of hikers here, despite it being just off of the trail. After a brief stop, we returned south to visit the Annapolis Rocks. After just over a mile, we veered off the trail to head about 400 yards downhill to the Adapolis Rocks, a large and popular cliff, la- uh, cliff face frequented by hikers for its spectacular views of the countryside, including the lake at Greenbrier State Park. There were dozens of hikers at this spot by 10 a.m. when we arrived, but there was room for everyone. After taking a few photos and sips of water, we returned to the trail in about two miles of mostly downhill running back to the trailhead. The entire run was just under 13 miles in length and included several sections where hiking was more advisable than running, but the trail was well maintained and no climbing or bouldering was required anywhere, so no special equipment or skills were were required. I highly enjoyed the experience for the change in scenery, but also because I enjoyed running with a new friend and our conversation along the run helped the miles to pass so quickly. I highly encourage you to check out this section of the Appalachian Trail and consider inviting others to take a destination run with you, as you might find the experience more enjoyable if you share it with others. Go to the website for a map of this run, which includes the location of the trailhead, so you can get uh, directions when you plan your next destination run. Before we get to this week's interview, I want to share some of the ways that you can connect with the show. You can follow the show on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter by searching for the Running Around Baltimore podcast. I will be posting periodically to provide show updates, and you can message me directly to share feedback on the episodes, make suggestions for future guests or segments, and ask questions. We also have a show website at runningaroundbmore.wixsite.com slash podcast. There you will find all the running routes shared on the show, links to the episodes on all the different podcast sites, and other key information. It would be greatly appreciated if you would subscribe to the show and write a review on your preferred podcast service. You can also share the podcast with your friends on social media, and of course tell people about it when you're out on your next group run. Thank you all so much for your support because I really do appreciate it. So without further interruption, let's get to this week's interview. For this week's interview, I'll be speaking with Trent Swanson, a runner from a distant land, Fruitland, Maryland, and he's best known for as the race director for the Algonquin 50K. Trent, welcome to the Running Around Baltimore podcast. Glenn, it's a pleasure to be on here. Thanks for inviting me. We're not too far from Baltimore, but far enough that we have to take a nice big bridge to get there. So it's, a, it's an honor to be talking with you today. Yeah, it's great having you on, Trent. So uh, tell us a little bit about how you got started as a runner. Yeah, interesting enough, I've been running for about seven years, and uh, every Thanksgiving, uh, a bunch of friends from church would get together and play football. And uh, one year, about, I guess seven years ago, in two th- 2011 or so in November, uh, we were playing football, and uh, the end of the game, uh, they, one of my buddies turned to me, and he's like, hey, uh, you know, you got a good arm, but you can't really run at all. I'm like, what? He's like, yeah, man, you just, you can't run. I'm like, I, I think I can run. I mean, I ran when I was younger. I feel like I'm in fairly good shape. He's like, no, come to my house. On a, and that was like on a Monday. He's like, come to my house on Wednesday. I'm like, okay. Showed up at his house and uh, he said, uh, 
let's go for a three mile run. I said, Oh man, when he said, let's go for a run, I thought it'd be like a mile or something. And, and uh, so we started running. He's like, we're going to do something called the Galloway method. We're going to run for like three minutes and walk for a minute. And in my head, I'm thinking three minutes isn't that far. But when I started running and I got to two minutes, I was all out of breath and struggling. And but I kept going. And when that three minutes was done, walked for a minute and uh, the minute went by so quick. And then we went again. And I tell you what, after three miles, we were done. He looked at me. He's like, what do you think? I said, when are we doing this again? <laughs> and uh, we met again on Friday, went for a run and uh, same type of deal. Three minutes, one minute. And uh did three miles. And uh, at the end, he said, what do you think, Trent? I said, that was great. He's like, you're a runner. I said, no, I'm not a runner. I'm just out here having fun, trying to get some exercise. He said, no, you're a runner. And uh, from there, we started meeting every Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and, and until we started kind of upping the miles and uh, lowering the walking. And uh, after a while, we started doing five miles every day, Monday, Wednesday, Friday. And then one day I turned to him. I said to him, I said, look, his name's Kevin. I said, Kevin, you know, uh, then I'm going to do something crazy. He's like, what's that? I think I want to sign up for a 10K. And I thought I was saying something crazy. And he looks at me, he's like, Trent, we're right now we're running five miles. You should sign up for a half marathon. I almost fainted in the road. And uh, so we start up in the miles, changed it to Tuesday, Thursday, and then on Saturdays up in the miles and uh, running more and more. And uh, so we, I started running that December 2011. And by April 2012, I ran my first race, which was the uh, island to island ocean city at that time to Assateague. Now they do it reverse ocean city to Assateague half marathon in a 2012 in April. And uh, been running ever since. Uh, sometimes take a few days off if I'm not feeling well. And I always like to get a, at least one day of uh, recovery a week, but I uh, really feel good. And that's kind of how I got started running. Yeah, that, that, that's awesome. Uh, and uh, definitely interesting that you started with the Galloway method. Uh, I had already started picking up running before I kind of encountered that uh, strategy. And uh, I don't know, I guess coming from a team sports background where, first of all, running three miles, I had never considered doing. But, you know, usually once you start walking, you figure that's not really running anymore. But, uh, you know, I've learned differently over the years that I do that I've you know, definitely gotten my butt kicked by some Galloway runners in uh, races before. So, uh, you know, I would never dare say that that's not running now. It, it's a good way to kind of up that mileage and, uh, you know, push you a little bit further than you might be able to, uh, you know, trying to run continuously at the beginning there. Do you still do Galloway method or, uh, you know, well, you transition? Yeah, transition out of that and then kind of transition back. Uh, I've done, but, uh, I tell you what, going in the uh, Galloway method, I, like you said, sometimes uh, people come in and I've been on both sides of the, uh, I guess, the butt kick in there where I've been doing the Galloway method and, and beating people that aren't. And I've been on the reverse where I'm running the whole time. I see these Galloway people that are doing it now. And, uh, you know, they're doing like the five minutes, 30 seconds or five minutes, one minutes, and they're just blazing by me. And, they, you know, I pass them a few times and they pass me. And then I don't see them after a while. I see them at the end. I thought, man, this guy's. Or the gal is really strong, so it's it's fun. I, I uh, for a while we did the Galloway for months, and then uh, we switched over to pure running. And uh, you know, here's what's interesting: there was a guy next door to the guy Kevin that got me run. His name's Joey DiCarlo. We call him Joey Bags and Bag of Donuts sometimes, or Joey Trails. And uh, one day we were doing this. He started running with us, and uh, one day we did the five. There was like four of us or five of us going out for a run, and uh, 
and near where the apartment where we met, there's a, a park there. We'll probably talk about this park a little later as well, Pemberton Park. And uh, Joey said, uh, hey, uh, we finished up our five miles, but uh, Kevin and this other guy was still maybe, a, I don't know, half mile behind. And we get to these trails and uh, Glenn, he looks at me, he's like, Trent, you want to go in the trails? I thought, man, I'm going to fall on my face and just really get injured. But I said, yeah, went into the trails. It was hot, humid, lots of bugs, ran a mile in there, came out of there and, and thought, that's a whole new world. That place is amazing. And uh, from then on, I called him Joey Trails. And, and uh, he still runs with us to this day. Great guy. And uh, he introduced me to the trails. So doing roads for a few years and then jumped into the trails. And for a while, there's kind of roads and trails and went from there. So uh, have you st stuck with kind of doing both uh, disciplines or are you, uh, I mean, we'll talk about your uh, race directing a little bit later, but as a runner, uh, do you still mostly run trails or are you still kind of just depends on what races uh, kind of spark your interest? Yeah, mostly for, for races, I'm doing primarily trails and, and mostly ultras. I'll do some of the local races around here and uh, some of the road races. I prefer trails. If, if I could choose between roads or trails, I'd choose trails probably, you know, 95% of the time. But if there's a, if there was a race here that I really believe strongly in, either people that are putting it on or what it's benefiting or just because it's a traditional race, I'll definitely be a part of that. And then my training itself, um, I still do pretty much a Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, and then throw in some other runs when I'm amping up for a, a big event. But, uh, on Tuesdays, usually out doing roads, but when I do roads, it's usually a lot of times parking garages or hills so we can uh, try to get in the hills that we don't have, the beautiful hills, say at uh, Patasco and, and locations that you guys are lucky to have. Um, and then on, on Thursdays, we're always hitting the trails and then the weekends hitting the trails. So I, I still do some roads, but uh, not always by choice. Yeah, that's definitely an Eastern Shore struggle. Uh, you know, uh... <laughs> Definitely being from down there, it's hard to find a hill. Uh, you know, I always joke that when I did the Seagull Century bike ride, the only uh, hill was uh, going on an overpass over uh, Route 13, but uh, and that was That's about it. So That's the truth. Yep, the bypasses. And uh, we have one hill pretty much where I live in Salisbury, where I live in Fruitland, but Salisbury is just 10 minutes north. And uh, it's a hill we call Lemon Hill. We'll go back and forth on that, you know, a dozen times in a run just to get that that he'll work in. So uh, we're definitely unlucky in that way, but lucky in many other ways. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, you know, sticking with your, your racing, uh, you know, what's, so you did the uh, Island Island uh, half marathon. Uh, what are some other, uh, you know, races that you've done over the years or uh, road adventures that you, uh, you know, are, are really happy that you did at this point? Well, I've done uh, nine marathons and probably about the same number of half marathons. And uh, I did the uh, St. Michael's. I've done uh, the St. George Marathon, which is beautiful, amazing, and uh, a lot of very well put together. Um, flew over to Ireland to do the Dublin Marathon, which is, a, I think, a destination marathon that everyone should try out. And then a lot of the local marathons here. I've done uh, the Rehoboth Beach Marathon three times, the uh, DC Marathon, the Rock and Roll DC uh, twice, but uh, they ran out of chocolate milk the second time by the time I went through. So uh, it's no good. My personal, yeah, my personal boycott on that. You know, I need some chocolate milk. And uh, 
And then uh, my first marathon, actually, it's this is kind of a funny story how uh, my little brother and I decided, hey, we're going to do a marathon. And he lives in California, Brett, and, uh, you know, living out East Coast. And no lie, Glenn, we just looked on the map and said, let's meet in Denver, Colorado, thinking that's kind of in the middle, sort of. And I had to be out in Vegas for work and it worked out. And uh, after we signed up, I'm running with some friends, part of our, our running club. And uh, they said, why did you pick Denver, Colorado? That makes no sense. How are you going to train for the elevation? <laughs> so my very first marathon with my brother were running long. I couldn't talk the whole time because my breath was just shot from the elevation. It was amazing. So those are some of the, uh, the actual races as far as marathons have done. Um, I don't know if you want me to share some of the ultra marathons I've done uh, sure. and some of the adventure runs, but, uh, we, um, when I started doing the, uh, the ultra marathons, um, I actually went with the local Potasco Valley 50 K and, and ran the first one back in 2014. And, uh, you know, Mario Ryan, those guys, they put on a really outstanding race. I was lucky to be there the first year, went over with, uh, three of my friends, Brian Perez, Game Matico, um, and we were able to get out there and, uh, and run the Potasco 50 K for the first, first year, had a great time out there. And then I've run some of the other locals like the hat run 50 K, um, did Potasco another time, did the North face out of DC, uh, the cloud splitter last year. And I did the Heiner trail challenge up in Pennsylvania this year. So those were some of the ultra marathons at 50 Ks. And, uh, also, I did the uh, Yeti 100-mile endurance challenge, and uh, I finished the whole race but came in after the cutoff. So uh, online is showing a DNF, but uh, I still somehow they gave me a buckle. So I don't know how to treat that one, but I'll take it. Uh, I, I would give you the DNQ for that one. You didn't quit. Uh, <laughs> so whether or not you get an official result, you covered the distance. I'm... And I think that's probably why they gave you the buckle. And uh, yeah. Heiner, I know that I've been hearing a lot about that. It sounds like that's about the toughest, uh, you know, you know, shorter trail race, uh, you know, in the East Coast, uh, at least from what I'm from what I'm hearing as far as uh, the up and down. And wasn't there quite a bit of rain this year? Uh, there was rain the day before and the night before, and it was a sloppy mess, a lot of mud, a lot of water. There was a point where I was um, running up this trail, and it was pretty much a river coming down. Um, definitely tough, and I had really no business being there with the uh, the elevation gain and the climbs, but it is definitely a race that everyone should do. The Heiner 50K is just amazing. You You have huge climbs, amazing views beautiful trails uh running and it's just definitely a to do on the east coast they say it's the hardest 50k on the east coast and uh i haven't seen one harder that i've tried so definitely i recommend that i'll definitely keep that one in mind and you said uh you've had some adventure races or adventure runs uh you know i'm kind of interested in that myself you know sort of a you know choose your own adventure kind of thing um you know what sort of things have you done in that vein well, interesting enough, one time I was uh, driving along and uh, I started thinking, what would, what would it be like to uh, run the length of Assateague Island? And uh, jokingly, I put on, uh, I was doing map my run on the map just to see how far it was. And uh, it's 37 and a half miles. And I shared the, uh, the, the uh, I did a screenshot of the <laughs> map my run and shared it on our local 
Facebook group for our, our running club. And uh, all of a sudden I get a message from my buddy Gabe Matiko, who's this flatlander that that can do pretty much any race in the world. And uh, he sends in his message like, hey, Trent, when are we doing this? I thought he was kind of joking um, because at that point I'd never really completed a even a ultra marathon. So it would have been the furthest. And, uh, so we actually took a boat, a little canoe over from West Ocean City over the tip, the very top of Assateague Island. And uh, we're both pretty big guys. He's like probably 6'4", I'm 6'2". And we're in this canoe and the water was just about to get into the canoe. We thought we were just going to collapse into the, to the uh, inlet there and have to swim to the island. Um, but we got there like 4.30 in the morning just started running and we ran I mean, 37 and a half miles on the sand it was insane and uh we had uh one two three different aid stations that people met us and one of the aid stations they actually kept, set up a, a bonfire there and uh had all sorts of grub and good stuff and then um when we're getting towards the bottom we thought well can we do an aid station because the island's pretty spread out and there's not you can't really drive cars there and everything so a buddy of ours, Chris Damone, threw on a backpack and started running from the south end and uh, met us. He's got this backpack full of like water and, and a goo and, and just, you know, good stuff to eat. And uh, he meets us and we chug down some stuff and the, the guy's carrying shells. And I'm like, Chris, what are you doing? He's like, there's some beautiful shells out here. And he starts collecting shells while he's running back. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. It's not carrying yeah, he's like, hey, can you carry a few? So all of a sudden, you know, there's those big conscious shells. All of a sudden we're running, but in our hands, like our, our, our fingers are like gripped around these shells because they're beautiful. So uh, we ran to the very end and you get to the very end and it's still like five miles back to where your car is, where my wife and my kids are meeting us. And, uh, you know, luckily they saw us go by the first time we could drop off all these shells. But at the end, um, we're about, I don't know, I'd say four miles to the end. And uh, Gabe says to us, he turns to us, he's like, hey guys, if you don't mind, I'm going to just kind of see what I got in my legs. Basically, it's his way of saying, I'm dropping you guys. I'm going to run really fast in a nice way, right? Right. The dude takes off probably like an eight minute mile, eight and a half or something, right on the sand after already running like 32 miles on the sand and uh, just takes off. But uh, we get to what we thought was the end. And we realized on the map we had to go like another mile. So we ran another mile. We drew a line in the sand. And out of respect for what Gabe had, we let him cross first. So uh, Gabe Matiko has the uh, Assateague north to south fastest known time. You can quote me on that. So <laughs> Yeah, and definitely need to submit that one. And, uh, you know, I'm sure you get the, you know, map my run or Strava data, Garmin data to, to prove it. And that's that seems to be what's key to things. But what yeah. I like about that is, again, this isn't, uh, you know, this didn't require signing up for something far in advance, didn't require uh, timing, didn't require, you know, any kind of fees or permits or anything. But, you know, you saw something and you went out there and did it. But you also made the fatal mistake of putting it online. Once you do that, uh, somebody calls you on it. You really have no choice but to go <laughs> out there and do it at that point. Yeah, yeah, we had to do that. And, and now that it's out probably on your podcast, someone's listening, uh, we'll probably lose that uh fastest known time you know yeah somebody's gonna say yeah i can do that well yeah maybe next time they go to ocean city (laughs) yeah next time they go to ocean city for vacation they're just gonna break that out yeah 
So what other sort of adventure things have, uh, have you done? So about, I guess probably about a year after that, um, I was working with the uh, athletes, serving athletes at the time. And, and the group over here has since split to, uh, to be called Team 360. But it's basically a, a group of athletes that, that um, push other athletes that, that, um, to help them kind of complete goals. Um, these are individuals that, that um, um, they maybe can't run on their own. And, uh, and I was part of this uh, group. And we had to raise a certain amount every year. And, and I thought, you know what, to raise um, the amount I needed, I'm going to do a, a run across Delmarva. And uh, so I thought, I don't know if anyone's done a run across Delmarva, but I decided this might be a, a, a good time to do it. Now, uh, I set it all up. And another, you know, we always have these great ideas, but sometimes we don't think them all the way through. And uh, across Delmarva, from where we live, from the Nanticoke area, over to Assateague is 60 miles and I set it all up and uh, had a, a page for people to donate and it ended up being when I mapped it out about 60 miles and we had people running with me the whole time it was really amazing started at at five in the morning um, but it was July and uh I think we were really blessed because it rained like the two days before and cooled down enough. It was in the low seventies instead of the, instead of the mid eighties, like it was the days before, but uh, it was a really good opportunity to uh, bring people together for a good cause. We raised over $2,000 uh, for the organization and uh, started about five in the morning and finished about eight at night. So uh, not blazing speed, but uh fastest known time across Delmarva would take that but it was a good opportunity to bring a lot of the running groups here on Delmarva together for a good cause and uh, I there was a I think seven different people that ran further than a marathon that day with me wow. um, so it was a yeah that was a a really cool adventure run so that was uh that was one and then my all-time favorite is the uh, Grand Canyon rim to rim to rim that uh, did uh, about three years ago in 2016 and that is the that is the destination run of destination runs. If if any runner wants the running experience of a lifetime, it's the Grand Canyon rim to rim to rim. That is amazing. Yeah, that's definitely been picking up a lot of interest in the last couple of years. Uh, yeah, that's uh, that seems like an amazing thing. But I mean, really, what I'm thinking of it this whole time is where were you and this group of people uh, when I was growing up on the Eastern Shore? Because uh, you know, I, w- I, I lived there until I moved to Baltimore in, in 2003. And, you know, the, I had some abortive uh, efforts to become a runner, you know, plus cycling and a number of other things. You know, I thought I might want to do a, a triathlon at one point. But, you know, I, re- I can distinctly remember running alongside uh, uh, Deal Island Road, uh, you know, major road through Princess Anne area where I live. And uh, people would be stopping and wondering if I was okay, you know, wondering if I needed a ride somewhere, if my car had broken down. So, uh, you know, they're just to see someone out running, uh, you know, there just wasn't much of a running culture uh, at that time. Uh, what is it like now? And, um, you know, how is it, how has it sort of grown over the years as you've seen it? Yeah, I think you're right. I think when we, uh, that, back in 2014, when I did the first, ultra at Patasco. I think there's probably a handful of ultra marathoners here. Jim Chaney, uh, Larry Watson, uh, Jeff Smith, 
uh, Doc Cooper. I mean, you could pretty much name them all in one hand. And uh, Joan Warden, I believe, was doing some uh, some ultras. And uh, and then since then, I think last time I counted, there's like 112 ultra marathoners here, just in the Salisbury area and little towns like Pocomoke. But uh, I think it comes down to just the established running groups that really fit each type of runner here and the supportiveness of the groups with the other groups. There's not any competition hey who can get this person it's and a lot of the people are in multiple groups uh we've got the Pemina running club that i'm a part of that uh, we started years ago with with joey DiCarlo and, and kevin harrison my friend brian perez and and uh, then there's the eastern shore running club um that mike peronsky and and vanessa run over there and, and the the Pemina running club we're all about early morning five five thirty runs and there's even a, a group called the Buffaloes, the fast pace <laughs> runners from the Pemina Running Club that meet even earlier at 435, uh, which is uh, Brian Swift and Melissa Wilson and, and their group. They're all out there running fast. But uh, there's also the Eastern Shore Running Club that uh, meets in the evenings and they uh, and, and they have a lot of entry level runners, but a lot of the really fast uh, road runners. And those people are doing the trails now as well. And uh, then there's Midshore. It's a great triathlon group here that uh, people are running, biking, swimming. There's Moms Run This Town, a group of uh, runners that are mothers that are very supportive of, uh, of a lot of our women runners. And uh, then there's groups like the 1130 Club that's people meet at the YMCA in the middle of the day and, and uh, always working on getting fast Boston qualifying times. And then newer clubs like the Greenbackville Running Club, group of ultra marathoners just south of here in uh, Pocomoke and Greenbackville, Virginia. So they a combination of all those groups coming together and other groups that I may have missed, but uh, we got a lot of runners, a lot of groups and a lot of support. Well, I'm glad to see that that's uh, sort of changed over the years. Cause uh, you know, um, as I said, it, it was just, uh, you know, in, in the nineties, early two thousands, that just wasn't the case. And maybe part of it was that there just weren't that many races, uh, you know, at the time, other than maybe one or, you know, a few charity races, 5Ks, maybe some things down in Ocean City, there just wasn't much. And then the Tim Kennard 10 miler kind of took off. And uh, but other than that, I didn't really hear much about them. Uh, what's sort of come about, uh, you know, in the past few years that sort of, uh, I mean, and has that had anything to do with this sort of, uh, you know, explosion of run clubs and groups? Yeah, it's definitely an explosion. I think it's a uh, everywhere. I went to the there's a uh, kind of a a green uh, what is it called like a uh, a festival like a green festival, and I ran into like six ultra marathoners. So it's crazy. Um, the Tim Kennard's been around for many years. Uh, we love that race. It's ten miler here in Salisbury. They do a great job of supporting the running community. Uh, we've got Vernon Powell Shoe Company that's been supporting runs for years. There's been a lot of shorter 5K runs, um, like the Ben Layton run uh, in the park and the zoo run down in in, uh, in the zoo area. Um, but lately in the last five years, the Salisbury Marathon uh, two years ago started in April, and it's had a lot of uh, – uh, support from the city. A lot of the local runners have been a part of that. It's a Boston qualifier. It's going into its third year in 2020. So that's brought a lot of a, a kind of a highlight on the city, a little spotlight. Um, the Naylor Mill 7K, uh, we, we started a few years ago. 
which is a Nayla Mills, uh, some mountain biking trails. And we put on a 7K there, kind of an entry level or sort of run because it's hot, humid, and the trail is very difficult. So it's not as fun as it sounds, uh, bacon. It's a bacon run. We serve bacon and water at the aid station at the finish. And uh, in true Delmarva style, there's been a team scrapple that has kind of come up, unfortunately. And uh, the teams are very so when you sign up, you can team up with one of those teams or Team Veggie, which is interesting. Um, there's also Nanticoke Triathlon that's been around for many years that uh, support a lot of the triathletes in the area. And uh, and our baby, the uh, the Algonquin 50K that uh, started in uh, the conception in 2016 and the first race in 2017. And, uh, then, and then recently the, uh, the Duck 50K, which is pretty much the 50K before the 50K, the Algonquin. And uh, and the Tuckahoe Twenty Five. Okay. Well, so. let's yeah, let's start in on Algonquin. I mean, this is uh, you know where you've sort of made a name for yourself in, in amongst the Baltimore running community, and how you sort of got on my radar. Uh, you know, because I just you know have a number of friends, uh, namely Rachel Rosenblatt, uh, uh, who's just sung the praises of this race. And uh, you know, so how did you get started with this? I mean, I know a little bit about the area down there uh in the pokemoke forest where it's put on but uh you know i don't have not run the trail uh but you know just a little bit more background on you know how that got started and uh you know what made you decide to put on a 50k down there yeah so about in 2016 i get this phone call from chris damone i'm driving along he said trent there's this this huge new trail that's 12.5 miles from from end to end we got to go run it. I said, oh, that sounds great. A few days later, Trent, I got there, and it's just full of ticks and chiggers. We can't go there yet, and it's just a lot of tall grass. He's like, keep it in mind for, this, for the fall. And uh, I guess that, that was actually, sorry, the end of uh, 2015. So then it got cold. In the beginning of 2016, uh, it was cold enough, and we went out there. And there was a group of, I, I think, about seven of us. Or maybe I think nine of us went out there, and the whole goal was to go from end to end. And uh, some of the faster guys took off and Chris and I were towards the back and uh, where the whole group took a long turn at the beginning, which is now Greenbrier Spur, part of our, our race. Uh, and then we turned around, came back, got on the main trail and then they all took off and about <coughs> about six miles down, Chris and I didn't take a right turn when we should have and went straight. And needless to say, Glenn, at the end, by the time I got back to my car, I had run 30 miles. And uh, I joked around with Chris and uh, Chris Damone and Brian Swift at the time and said, Look, I, I just did like 30 miles and uh, most of the trails were unique. We could put on a 50K here. And they looked at me and thought I was a little bit crazy because I'd never put on a, a real organized race. And here I was saying, hey, let's put on a, on a 50K. And, uh, and that's what we started doing. So in the, in the summer of 2016, not knowing much at all except signing up for ultra sign up i just made a ultra sign up page for the algonquin 50k and had it signed sign open up the beginning of august i believe and just because of the the excitement in the area for running the excitement of running longer and, and challenging themselves a lot of runners signed up the first day i think a lot like a handful of people signed up the first day um but towards october i think around Halloween time, uh, we sold out. We had a hundred spots and it was sold out. And uh, 
the ranges let us go to 125 and uh, those went quickly as well um so the the algonquin 50k uh came about in in uh in february the 11th of uh 2017 first race and uh it's been a a very fun labor of love challenging but uh a great event to put on yeah and and uh, it seems that uh, i know a number of folks who came down from baltimore that uh you know at least this year and, and last year as well uh you know it seems like a very unique challenge from what we normally have here again here people are usually trying to find as many hills as possible where you are there really aren't that many to find uh so where uh where do the challenges come in uh for your course yeah unfortunately it's not challenging enough for the baltimore crowd because uh aaron ellison won the event last year and uh, i think emily clay is from your area she came in uh, i believe second uh last year as well so uh but there are distinct challenges of the algonquin 50k we have uh sand and uh, there's probably about two miles of fairly challenging deep sand and uh, soft sand and the interesting thing about Glenn is that a lot of people want, hey, we want it to be warmer, but the warmer it is, the softer the sand is. So the ideal temperature for the Algonquin 50K is around 25 degrees. When it's 25 degrees, a lot of the water, some of the trails get covered in water, parts of them. And uh, when it's really cold, that ice is up, but it also brings it in so you can run around that ice. Uh, but in the first two years, it was fairly warm and there were water spots that uh, <laughs> they made a... Uh, a nice impression on people for water crossings in quotation because they were basically running through uh, trails that were inundated with water. Uh, so we have the water, we have the, uh, the sand, and uh, there are parts that if you try to run around the water, you get uh, torn up with uh, briars. briars. Um, but most of it, I'd say uh, 90% of it is very runnable. Um, there are even the parts that aren't that deeper sand, there are sandy trails, which can make it difficult. But uh a few things we really pride ourselves on is having a very safe course, having a very well-marked course. We haven't had a runner get lost in all three years of the run, and we don't want that to ever happen. And a very well-supported race with all of the organizations I talked about uh, a little while ago are part of these races. Uh, we've got the Eastern Shore Running Club that spearheads the uh, first and sixth aid station. We got Midshore doing an aid station. The moms run this town doing an aid station. Permanent Running Club doing an aid station. So there are challenges, but I always say we um, we spoil you while you suffer. <laughs> yeah, that's a good tagline. You got to put that <laughs> in all the advertising. And uh, yeah. now for the twenty uh, twenty race, uh, you know that's already in planning and the registration's already opened up. Uh, is there even room in this one at this point? I know that uh, the more popular the ultra, the more likely it sells out, you know, well ahead of time. Uh, what's it looking like for the 2020 Algonquin? Well, when we opened up registration, about half of the slots filled up the first day. And at this time, we have a 275 spots and we're at almost 250 full now. So there's probably about 25, I think, or around maybe it's around 40, around 40 spots left right now um so i would guess by I, i'm just guessing here fourth of july it's probably gonna be full if not sooner um I, last year we sold out just around just before thanksgiving so this is definitely uh, selling out quicker um which is exciting we have a lot of people that are coming back for the fourth time many people for the third time 
a lot of people for the second time. And, but we've got a lot of rookie runners as well. So a lot of it's a great race for uh, first time ultra runners, but also for experienced people that want to get a fast PR time. Um, there are, like I said, those those obstacles running parts of it that you can definitely make up the time and have a good good race out there. If you don't get your mug smashed, can I talk about that, Glenn? Yeah, yeah, why not? So uh, we give out these beautiful made by here in Salisbury called Muse Studios, and they do a great job. They make a beautiful mug. Everyone is distinct. Everyone is different. You're not getting the the same metal that's made in China somewhere. No offense to metals, but um, but you're getting a custom mug, and we believe if you don't finish the race, then that mug is not yours to get. And so we usually just smash it and put it on the ground. So it's it's a piece of art, but it's still a piece of art even if it's in a thousand. Yeah, that's a, a unique tradition, and uh, you know, it reminds <laughs> me of uh, you know, if you go to comrades and they put the gate up and you don't get to cross, you know, it's just a crusher. I imagine people take those uh, shards of their broken mug home with them. And as a reminder that they need to train a little hard for the harder for the next one. Well, I tell you what, the, the second year, the first year is, is, I guess, more brutal. The second year I saw people that didn't get pulled and, uh, you know, they're coming over a little after the, the official cutoff eight hours. And uh, I was Glenn, I was literally bawling and uh, had to make a decision there and uh, thought if they completed the actual distance of the course, they're getting that mug. But if we have to pull them at anywhere and we have strict cutoffs throughout the race, then uh, they're not getting that mug for sure. Yeah. Well, and, but I, I must say, I do like the idea of uh, more of a unique finishers uh, prize. I mean, I, I mean, how many medals do we all need, but uh, you know, it, it, it seems to be provide one more way that it's a little bit more of a unique experience. Yeah, there's a few other things that definitely make it unique. Um, here on the Eastern Shore, we have Smith Island Cakes. And uh, at each aid station, there's this different Smith Island Cake. And so that makes it a, a little bit more unique as well. And then uh, we probably all have boiled potatoes at an ultra, but uh, we have boiled potato with Old Bay to dip into, which makes it uh, exciting. But, uh, you know, we have all these whistles and bells, but at the end of the day, it's all about the meat and potatoes of the, no pun intended there, but meat and potatoes of the actual race. We want to make sure it's timed well. We want to make sure it's safe. We want to make sure everyone's getting to where they want to go and everyone has a good time. And, you know, if everyone can cross the finish line and push as hard as they can and, and meet their goals and, and uh, finish the race knowing that they didn't get lost and finish the race knowing that they're, they're getting the time accurately, and that's, that's what's most important to us, putting on a, a stellar event. Yeah, and that's definitely the feedback we've been getting. I got a, we had a race report on air from Randy Rittenauer, uh, you know, running friend of mine, and and you know that that's definitely what I've been hearing from him and everyone else is just that it's put on really well, and you know it's definitely raising your reputation as a as race director uh, to the point where now you can sell out a race in what two days or so. With the, <laughs> what about the Tucker Road twenty five k? What on earth happened with that? It's up and then it's down. I mean, it was, you know, here today and gone tomorrow all of a sudden. So I, I want to know about this Tucko 25K and what I'm going to be missing. Yeah, let me first touch on uh, the Baltimore group there. And, uh, you know, there's people like uh, Kristen Cunningham, the two Rachels, Aaron, all, all, all the people over there that, you know, everyone in the Patasco uh, Trail Junkies, um, you know, Michael, that, 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 that spearheads that group. 
you know, I like to touch base with, with everyone and kind of see what works for people. And, uh, you know, I like to ask, Hey, what did you guys find beneficial? And so each year, the top runners, I send them an individual email and ask them because I always believe Glenn, I believe if you take care of those, those first runners and the last runners, everyone else will be taken care of. There's two things that should never happen that the, the first, that that first group of runners, that something happens to them, either the aid stations aren't ready or they finish or they get lost. That can't happen. They have to have a stellar, they have to have an amazing experience. Also the very last runner needs to have an amazing experience where they're getting the aid station, getting the same thing that those first people. So we always try to take care of those first people and last people, but thankfully the people in Baltimore have given us a lot of great feedback and we like to take care of them because, uh, we want to head over there and run some of those beautiful trails. So we came up with the, uh, there's actually a group um, of runners called the Centerville Crushers. And there are five, at least five uh, women that came over, the ladies came over from Centerville, Maryland, and they ran the Algonquin 50K. And I'm usually the last person to leave because I'm going around picking up even a little piece of the garbage, make sure I'm not leaving the race until everything's cleaned up. So it was probably, I don't know, six o'clock at night, this last Algonquin and I'm going to clean up and I go to the parking lot and there's one or two cars left and there's these five ladies. And I'm like, what's going on? And they're like, Hey, and they all have the Algonquin uh, green hat on with the little logo. And they're like, race dictator. Come here. Let's get a picture with you. So I did. I said, where are you guys from? And they said, Centerville. I said, how close are you to Tuckahoe state park? And they're like fairly close. I said, we need to put on a race. And they got all excited. And I said that kind of in the, you know, the excitement of the Algonquin 50 K because I run out and, Tuckahoe State Park for a while and uh sure enough a few weeks later they start writing me and they said Trent can we put on a, a race out there I said yes definitely but I don't like to put on a distance just to make up a distance it has to make sense for the area and the trails and I knew there weren't enough trails at Tuckahoe State Park to put on a 50k so we looked at it and it made sense to do about 15 miles so we came up with a 25k and of course talked to the rangers there and our our good standing with the Rangers and, and Pocomoke helped us and uh, a lot of help from the ladies there with the Centerville Crushers and uh, came up with a, a great plan, a great course in uh, Tuckahoe State Park for November 2nd. And with the excitement of sharing with the, the groups we know and the groups that the uh, Centerville Crushers know, it uh, sold out in 22 hours after we put it up on Ultra Sign Up. So it was amazing. Yeah, that's ridiculous. Uh, for a first-year race to have that kind of buzz is, uh, well, it's unheard of, basically. I mean, I've never yeah. heard of that before for a first-year race, especially in you know in an area that, again, it, it, you know, this isn't a, a major metropolitan area. I mean, uh, you know, you, you pull 100 Marylanders and ask them where Centerville is, you might get two or three that would know where, where you're talking about, but right. uh, they're in Queen Anne's County. So uh, to get uh, which is about 125 people for that race uh, in 22 hours. That, that's amazing. Yeah, 125 spots. And it put me in a difficult situation because I mean, there's about 10 people at least on the wait list right now. I'm getting emails from friends and people that ran Algonquin and, hey, can you get me in? So I'm uh, I'm uh, pushing with the range spots, but it's always tricky. You always, you always with, with – with the size of a race, you have to think, what can the trails handle? And then how can you spread out the runners enough at the beginning so they're not bottlenecked up? And uh, and then it comes down. So it comes down to parking, bottlenecking, and spreading people out. 
and I'm making sure the trails can handle it. The trails can probably handle it. And 125 sounds like a great number. And uh, that's what we, that's how we came up with that number. But uh, I bet you if we had 200, it'd be sold out of 200. That's how much excitement there is about the race. So. Well, and uh, there's also one other thing that uh, your races have been somewhat known for. And, you know, I, I want to know whether this was by design or by accident, but, uh, you know, trail racing or trail running tends to be uh, traditionally a, a, a male per, a pursuit, you know, maybe about 70%, 75% males running ultras uh, out on the trails. Uh, but your races, it's the opposite. You've got uh, more women starting the race than men, uh, you know, which is unique. It, I think even garnered a little national interest last year for uh when algonquin made that announcement so uh what happened there uh, you know how can you explain that trend well yeah i'm glad you brought that up the uh so last year i actually thought well maybe since well maybe twitter will work well as well and uh and i started using twitter and when algonquin for 2019 sold out we were over 50 percent women just barely and uh the finisher rate actually was just leaned a little bit towards men. Um, but when we, when we sold out, it was like 52, I think, percent men, uh, women and 48% men or something like that. And so I shared that on Twitter and it got the attention of a lot of really important people in the world of running <laughs> across the nation. Um, in fact, Bart Yasso saw it and uh, he decided to come run a race. So he signed up and when Bart Yasso is on the wait list, you tend to clear pretty much everyone around them to get them in. And uh, so that's what we did. And so Bart Yasso came out. But uh, what makes the races so attractive, I think, to the ladies is, first of all, we, uh, we, we want to make sure that they get the same treatment, if not better than the men. And I think when, and I'm not a lady, so hopefully I'm, I can explain this well, but I think they want a race where they're, they know that it's going to be safe, that they're not going to get lost, that they're going to be taken care of that there's training runs. We put on three training runs for the Algonquin every year, um, that their friends will want to come out and do it with them. And this is a race that our races always have usually wide enough trails that they can run um, with other people. But we also do something, and I don't know how unique this is, but hopefully it's not unique. Hopefully every race is doing this. Uh, but we've got a women's committee that we reach out to, and, and there's three women. Um, then we got Melissa Wilson, uh, Sabine Saylor, and uh, Colette Alton, and uh, I keep in touch with them. We got a little uh, text message group, and I ask them, hey, what can we do to uh, better serve the female runners? And it's always about touching base with them. What can you do? Uh, first year, we didn't have women cut shirts. We have women cut shirts now. Uh, the first two years, the local TV station came and interviewed the male winners, which were the top three win finishers, but they left before the women and uh, we made sure that they stuck around and interviewed the men and the women. So it's, it's about communications, about tweaking things, but it's about inviting people. And it's also in talking about inviting, communicating, we make sure that we have a very, very active uh, Facebook group. Um, and we do use Twitter and Instagram. I, I can't figure out Instagram. I think I'm too old for that, but uh, we are on there. So if people have questions and it's usually myself, um, or one of the people really close to me that are answering those questions. So they're getting questions answered quickly. I think all of those combined um, make it an attractive race for women to run and men as well. And, and that's, uh, I think, a, a great thing for anyone thinking about directing a race to 
to think about is, is again, just trying to think about all the different variables and, you know, and again, that would help to explain why you've, uh, you know, developed such a following that, again, you're putting a lot of thought and effort into, you know, serving the entire running community and not just one subset of it. So that's, uh, seems pretty important. And speaking of which, uh, you know, when it comes to Tuckahoe, I mean, it's a trail race, it's a 25 K, uh, you know, it seems like there, there's more and more of an effort to put on, uh, ultra length, um, you know, trail races, but, you know, this is what would be called sub ultra, uh, you know, those are a little bit harder to find, especially outside of like a, a running club, uh, you know, putting them on just as a club race, but, you know, as a premium race, uh, there aren't so many, it, do you feel like there's a, a need for more of these? And, and maybe that's why, uh, you know, it went so quick. Yeah, there's actually, and, and I, I tease, uh, the crushers and also some of the other groups that some of these shorter races, we call them feeder races. I say all races lead to Algonquin, but, uh, the, uh, Naylor mill, the Naylor mill seven K the, uh, Tuckahoe 25 K and one of our close uh, groups that I run with all the time and done some pacing with them at some ultras, the Greenbackville running club just South of us puts on a, uh, pretty much if, if you look at the Algonquin map, it's pretty cool right across the river. There's some beautiful, beautiful trails and, and this is on record, but I'm going to say it anyway. But uh, there's some trails across the river from Algonquin called the Blades. We call it the Blades Trails. And there's a 10-miler down there. And those are the most beautiful trails in Delmarva. And the Greenbackville Running Club with uh, Colette and Zach putting this thing on. They're the, the co-race directors. They put on a 10-miler just south of ours in March. And there was so much excitement about that. They ran that. And what it does is just... I mean, any race is a good race because it gets people out running and doing events. But we really do need more mid-level, 10-mile, 15-mile trail races, even that shorter, you know, the uh, seven Nail and Mill 7K, which is more like an 8K. I think it's like five miles. I think we add a little bit of distance every time. But um, I think it just encourages people that may have been hesitant to get on the trails to try it out because of these shorter distances. And the excitement grows. You'd be surprised how many people have done the Naylor Mill 7K and the next year are doing the Algonquin 50K and just jumping from one distance to another. But also people have done the Algonquin 50K that say, man, I'd love to do a shorter distance and kind of go back and forth. So I think we need them both. Yeah. And, and again, it, people aren't going to run a, a 50K every week or even every month, but you know, if we could sprinkle in a few more of these shorter races, uh, you know, kind of keeps the training, uh, you know, a little bit more interesting, a little bit more to look forward to. And, you know, it's not just an Eastern shore problem. I'd say there, there's probably not quite enough of them, you know, anywhere at this point. Yeah, exactly. Like the Tucker 25, you get done with that. You can still have the whole day to play the 50 K when I did the, uh, when I did the uh, Heine 50 K, I was just done for the day and the next day and almost the third day after that. So I think uh, for someone wanting to maybe take a race on that, that's going to afford them the, the, the time to do other things, especially maybe during the summer or the fall. And uh, I think a, a mid distance. And when I say mid distance, that might be long for some people that the, the Tucko 25 would be a great option. So. All right. Well, and uh, there's one other race I've got to ask about because you posted something about it last week. And I don't know, I couldn't get it off my mind for a couple of days. Uh, the Pemberton 24 uh, coming up on September 21st. Um, 
I mean, it, it's a festival of 5Ks, uh, which, you know, seems, uh, you know, sort of simple and easy enough, but um, it's not. So tell us what this craziness <laughs> is. Uh, it's insanity. It's a juggernaut. It's going to be a complex race to put on and we're so excited about it. we've got an army of people that are behind this race and it is just one of those things that i was probably driving too long and thinking too long and idea of having a 5k every hour on the hour for 24 hours and i had to bring it back to where i started trail running the very first time when i went out the first time with joe and fell in love with the trails and it's a place that we run every week and they're beautiful trails, but there's also a lot of area to relax and the camp music there. We're going to have entertainment. We're going to have food trucks and beer trucks. And uh, we're kind of going 50-50 with uh, Wicomico County here. Uh, they own the park there. And uh, they reached out and said, hey, is there any way we could you could help us put on another event? And they said another 5K. I said, I think I've got something a little more exciting. And they said, what's that? I said, hour on the hour for 24 hours and what's unique about this bring on that many 5k's uh, but we're going to do a point system in time you where you rank in the top five runs and uh, at one point and then uh point place three third place two and fourth and fifth one point so uh, at the end of the day Literally, at the end of the day, 24 hours later, uh, we accumulate the points, and whoever has the most points wins. So very unique, very crazy, very exhausting, and it's going to be awesome. Yeah, I mean, it, it's definitely insane to think about. And, uh, you know, I mean, it, as I said, it seems simple enough. I mean, you've got a, a no-elevation gain course, um, you know, and, you know, so it's like, well, how hard would it be to, you know, even at your all-day pace to – to run a 5k, you still got time to get food, but to do it for 24 hours. And for those, uh, you know, not doing the quick math there, it, it ends up being about what's a little over 74 miles, uh, at the end of the 24 hours. But, you know, you had to add yeah, in one other little wrinkle because it's like, we were that close to 75, <laughs> uh, you know, and, and what if all those points added up? I mean, it's not going to be the fastest runner that, that wins necessarily, you know, because you know it's about points. Uh, you know, right. so it's not right. about the fastest each individual lap. You know, there's no real winner of each lap. You know, it's about gathering these points up. You know, what if everybody ended up tied after 74 uh, miles? Uh, you know, what do you do about that? Uh, we had thought that out, too. So because it's 74.4 miles after 24 5Ks, we thought, well, we got to have a tiebreaker at the end. So at the end, if there is, and I don't think this is going to happen, but if there are two or three individuals that are tied up at the end, then they're going to do a 0.6 mile sprint race. That's going to determine the winner. So there it is. That's how we finish it off. So they'll get a 75 nice round number at the end to, uh, to finish it off. Now, if there's a clear winner after that, we may still do that little sprint run. Um, but we got a nice section of dirt road that we'll do that run on. And, uh, that would determine the winner, but, we, I, I'm not doing this alone, of course. The uh, county's helping. Um, a guy named Alan Swiger is helping with it. And also uh, my buddy Chuck Mullard is actually the co-race director on this. So um, there's no way I could function for 24 hours straight coherently. So uh, 
got a guy helping me out and uh, we're going to push it through. I think it's going to be a really great event. Yeah. I mean, and it's definitely a unique event. I've told, uh, you know, just after I read up on it, I told a few runners that I know about it and, you know, without a doubt, everybody, I mean, nobody said, well, I'm definitely doing it, but everybody's thinking about it. Everybody's tried to think about, could I actually do that? Could I really function for that long? Uh, am I ready for those sort of trail hallucinations, that sort of thing? And, uh, but I must say, if anybody did all 24 or 5Ks, I think they would definitely do the 0.6 at the end, whether you did it officially <laughs> or not, because you're that close to that big number of 75, you might as well just do it. Yeah, let me just clarify one thing, uh, Glenn. So on the, with the 24 hours of 5Ks, you don't have to – you can pick and choose which 5Ks you want to do throughout those 24 hours. You could run three 5Ks that first night, go home, go to sleep, come back, run three more in the morning, go get lunch, hang out, go to the food trucks, and then run three more. And there's also team events as well. So you can join a team of four and compete with points there. And so the individual and the teams will be um, – the points will be uh, – Founded separately so that's exciting so there's a lot of people that are signing up as a team and the whole goal is just to have someone running every hour for the 24 hours so a ragnar type uh event but uh there's other people that just want to try to get in as many 5ks as they can so it's exciting for the entry level runner and also for the uh the hardcore ultra runners yeah, that's actually a good point to bring up. I mean, basically, if you do one 5K, you're a finisher. Uh, it's just a matter of how many of them that you'd want to get in. So, uh, you know, you can do as much as, or as little as you like. And, uh, you know, it, it's really kind of a you get to kind of decide what adventure you want for that day. So that that is a pretty cool and unique uh, thing to be able to have. Yeah, well, that's that's the exact goal. Like all of our races, we're trying to get in those entry level runners, but also more of the. Uh, the hardcore ultra runners. We already have some people from uh, from this area and also from as far as Pittsburgh and uh, as far as down in uh, uh, like Charlottesville, Virginia area. They're coming up to be a because of the unique style, the, the ability to see, let's see how many of these I can do in 24 hours. All right. Well, that's great. Thanks for clarifying that one. Uh, you know, I is there any cap on that race or is it, uh, you know, because because of the unique format, is it pretty much a wide open uh, registration? Right now, it's wide open. Um, it could get capped at around three hundred. Uh, if it starts getting close to that, we're going to re-examine it. But uh, it looks like it's going to be open for now. All right, cool. We'll definitely have to keep an eye on that one. So, Trent, thanks so much for all the time. I've just got a couple uh, fun little cool down questions uh, for you to kind of uh, put a bow on this one. So uh, you said your favorite sort of run adventure was doing the rim to rim to rim uh, of all the races that you've done marathons, ultras, uh, which one would you say would have to be your favorite that you've run so far? My favorite. I, mean, I always say my last was probably my favorite because maybe I have the best uh, experience at it was a uh, Heiner, but I'm still going to go with my first. I think your first ultra has a special place in your heart. And uh, so the Potasco 50 K and uh, I, I think it was so special because I started running with this guy, Brian Perez. And when I finished, he finished about an hour before me, but he had to take off for a concert. He was playing in a concert. And uh, he left a note on my car that said, congratulations, you're an ultra marathoner. And uh, I thought, how did he know I was going to finish that? But, you know, if you just believe in others, believe in your friends. And I've kept that note ever since I have it in my office. And uh, so I love local run races. 
and that was my first. I'm going to say the Patasco 50k. Uh, that's that's a great uh, story to go along with it too. So you're a man with a fertile imagination, and I know you've uh, thought about this. What would be your dream race to create and direct? <laughs> I better not give this away. This, I'm, I'm thinking about this name for next year, but uh, I don't know. It, it, I would say. So can I give two answers, a road one and, and then maybe a trail one? Absolutely. All right. So the trail one's easy because no one would know. So we do a race right now, the, the duck, which is the 50K after the, the 50K at Algonquin, right? But what I would love to do, Glenn, is get like a bus and have everyone meet. And they have no idea where we're going. They just have to take off the whole weekend. And they have to have the experience and the, and the ability to run a difficult 50K right and then we have all the permits and everything but the thing is they have no idea where we're going we could be driving for eight hours they'd have no idea so uh that would be i think my ideal 50k or trail run it wouldn't 50 between 50k and a 50 mile something like that would be awesome because then you get everyone in a bus they have no idea where they're going and then you start passing out information clues when they get there and then you have a cabin everyone's hanging out and then you go do this race I think that'd be awesome. And then a road race, which would also be an ultra, is to uh, do a run across Delmarva, trans Delmarva race. Start them off at one end, have them do what I did, and see if uh, see what the time would be. And I think that'd be great. There's yeah, not a lot of road matter. races at that distance. I think that would generate a lot of excitement. And uh, to go from the bay to the beach, people do it on the bike. Not many people do it running. So if I could put on a race like that, and as you can see, both of those are local, love to keep everything local. So, Yeah, absolutely. And uh, that's definitely uh, something I could see happening. And, uh, you know, it seems like you've built up uh, enough uh, trust in your community as a race director that I think you could probably get a couple of busloads of people to go pretty much wherever you would uh, take them at this point. And uh, they'd trust enough that they're going to have a good experience. So that's a, uh, I think that's actually going to happen. I, especially now that we put that out there, people are going to no, be like, all right, Trent, when's it going to happen? <laughs> Just have a lot of pickle juice and bacon. I think they'll be happy. And, you know, for the drinkers, they probably need some alcohol. I don't drink, but they probably need that. But I think something like that, something that challenges people and that, that's unique, meaning they go from one place to another, point to point, that's exciting, like Bay to the Beach would be a lot of fun. So Definitely. All right. Uh, I'm going to, I got one last question for you. Uh, and this could be running or, or just life in general. What are you most grateful for right now, Trent? I tell you, I'm most grateful for my family. My dad's in town this weekend and, uh, my wife, Denise, my kids, I've got three beautiful kids, Lucas, Liam, and Layla. And, uh, you know, it's great to be a race director. It's great to be, and that's my full-time job. I don't, I race direct as a hobby and for fun. So uh, I, I'm grateful my, for my, uh, my actual job. But uh, family's most important. Family trumps everything. And uh, if I have to choose between a race and a family event, just this last week, my boy's last lacrosse game, couldn't miss that. So I uh, love my family. Very grateful for them. Grateful for my wife and the support she gives me to actually put on these crazy events. And uh, she's there at every Algonquin. She cooked, you ready for this? She cooked potato soup and minestrone for like 350 people. Oh, so, God. Yeah, it was the most delicious potato soup we've I've ever had in my life. So it's amazing. So definitely grateful for family, extended family. And I now have 
three brothers, my sister, and my nephew who have all run Algonquin. So it's a family affair as well. Yeah, that's awesome. And it's a, a great place to land this one, Trent. So thanks so much for coming on the podcast. If uh, people don't already uh, know how to get in touch with you or don't know about your races, wanted to connect you, with you on social media, learn a little bit more about uh, you know the craziness you're putting on, uh, how could they find you? Well, we have uh, Algonquin50k.com. That's for, uh, the, of course, the Algonquin50k. You can also follow us on Facebook. We have a Facebook group for the Algonquin ALQ50k is the Facebook group. We're also on Instagram and Twitter with that same handle, ALQ50k.com. And, uh, and if they want to connect with me on Facebook as well, it's Trent Swanson over here. So uh, I look forward to hearing from people and having more people join our, our crew of crazy people and uh, hope they all come out and join the uh, paint party that we put on. All right. Awesome interview, Trent. Thanks so much for coming on again and uh, hope our paths will cross soon, uh, probably somewhere out there on the trails. Glenn, I look forward to seeing you. I got a name on the trails with me. You know, stay for us. Come on out. All right. Will do, man. All right. Thanks, Glenn. Have a good one. Yep. Yep. Before we wrap up episode 11, I want to thank those who helped to make it possible. Thanks to Monica Basha for coming on to share her experience at the Providence Marathon. Also, don't forget to sign up for the Agape 5K coming up in June. Check out buildingfamiliesforchildren.org to learn about the race and to sign up. They generously offer the promo code RAB. You can enter that to save 10% on registration. Thanks to Coach Buddy Weber from the Baltimore Roadrunners Club for his coaching advice. Of course, you can always reach him by email at runningcoachbuddy at gmail.com or at runningcoachbud on Twitter. And of course, thank you to Trent Swanson for sharing your story and for reporting on the state of running on the Eastern Shore. If you want to connect with Trent, you can do so by checking out www.alq50k.com and alq50k on both Instagram and Twitter. We'll be back in a couple of weeks with a new episode, but until then, I hope to see you running around Baltimore.